Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. I always am either talking to somebody about dreams or visions and consciousness or playing music that's related to dreams or or I I have some subject matter that I've got uh, that I want to talk about on the air. And uh, this has been a great show to have for the last about two and a half years or so. Uh, Today, I have an old friend on the show and I'm really happy, uh, excited to talk to her on the air. We're going to be talking with Thorne Coyle today. Thorne is a respected teacher and author of Kissing the Limitless and Evolutionary Witchcraft. She hosts the popular Elemental Castings podcast series on the web. She is founder of the Solar Cross Temple and Morningstar Mystery School and has a spiritual direction and mind-body coaching practice that reaches people internationally. Thorne, I'm so pleased to have you on Dream Talk Radio. Thanks, Anne. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Um, we have talked many times in the past about dreams and and spirituality. And so I guess my first question to you is, have you had any big dreams lately? That is a good question. And I've been having those kind of dreams where a lot has been going on. There hasn't been one big profound dream. I haven't had one of those in a few months, but I've been noticing threads coming up, you Mm. know, threads of of plans they have or work that needs to be done. I feel like my subconscious is doing a lot of figuring things out while I'm asleep. That's, that sounds like good news to me. it's that's interesting. Do you find a, a lot of people will say this that that their dreams sort of come and go in phases? It's like yes. your unconscious or your subconscious was working on a particular thing, and you'll get a lot of that kind of dream until finally it shifts. Mm-hmm. I definitely have found that, and sometimes they are, you know, the big whack you over the head dream yeah. that it's obvious you need to work at. But when when it's a recurring thread, it's a little more subtle, and I have to pay better attention mm-hmm. um, to follow it through. And then I have to pay attention what's happening in my waking life that this dream is attempting to weave together, and what can I do actively? How can I listen? I do a lot of listening when I feel like things are really up yeah. in my dreams, and trying to ascertain, okay, what... What's my subconscious trying to tell me? Right. And what do different parts of my soul want here? And how can I better um, listen and sink into that? So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it does go in phases. And then hopefully, if I pay attention enough, it will work itself through. And then right. that cycle of dreams will move on. Boy, that is such a... a I don't know, some somehow more relaxed or more realistic way, 
in my opinion, to look at dreams like, okay, what are what are they trying to tell me? Rather than uh, something I hear from uh, from people who have been uh, introduced to dreams from a Freudian context, which shockingly is still taught in medical school and <laughs> psychiatry. You know, oh no, what is this revealing about me? Mm-hmm. Right? What a what a different change in tone from what is this revealing about me? What dirty secrets is this showing? Right. Rather than oh, what is what is this trying to tell me? What parts of my soul are activated at this moment? Well, it's such a difference in perspective from someone who you know. Ha- we both have a spiritual practice where we're trying to be in states of healthy pride, right? And you know, integration and balance. It's such a different mindset than oh, we're shameful humans. Yeah. You know, we're not shameful. We're just trying to figure things out. Yes, that's right. And sometimes we make mistakes. Yes. You know? Yeah, the shame-based theory doesn't work for me very well, and I don't think it's healthy in the long term. Yeah, but there sure is a lot of it going around. So it's nice to talk with somebody that's that's really actively... I mean, you've been working uh, as, for as long as I've known you, and that's been what, I don't know... 20 some odd years for on on really shifting those paradigms internally. And that's a lot of what you teach to people too. Right. It's true. I was certainly raised um, and part of my personality certainly gravitated towards shame. And so it's been really important to me to unravel that and, and to see that it wasn't helpful to me, nor was it helpful to anyone around me in my life mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. trying to act out those stories over and over again. Mm. I'm a lot more effective as a teacher and a priestess and a friend uh, the more I can say, no, here are, here are things I'm working on, here are my strengths, and I want to be in a, coming from a place of power and love. Yeah. So in your teaching, you and you travel all over the world, uh, teaching people how to have a um, spiritual practice that that fosters healthy growth of the psyche and healthy lives, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you're seeing in your travels right now that seems to be up in the collective unconscious that maybe wasn't there two years ago or five years ago? Yes, actually. I'm sorry, were you done? No, oh, yeah. Yes, I've been seeing this also in my spiritual direction practice a lot to the sense that people are really stepping into what I might call their destiny. Ah. You know, their, their true, their deeper soul's work. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are being activated around that more than I've ever seen in all my years of doing spiritual practice and teaching. I think we live in a time where people are waking up and saying, wow, a lot of things are in crisis. What can I do? Mm-hmm. I need to get my stuff together and stop dithering around and stop um, spending so much time and energy doing things I don't really want to be doing. And so I think a lot of people are feeling a call hmm. right now, Anne, and it's exciting to me to see the work they're doing. It's yeah. also interesting to see the resistance that's coming up. Uh-huh. In you what... know, that there's fear uh-huh. around stepping into what our soul really desires. And right. there's fear around figuring out what our deeper work is because it's hard, I think, for some of us, A, to take on that kind of responsibility, yeah. and B, to think, here we are back at shame again, to think we're worth it. Uh-huh. And that's another way that, I've been thinking, when I was thinking about talking to you today, I was thinking about the language we use around that word, dreams. Yes. 
You know, there are the dreams that come at, in the night that where our subconscious is trying to work things out or give us messages. And then there are dreams we have for ourselves when we're awake. Mm-hmm. You know, and stepping into those dreams is big work. Boy, it sure is. It's like lucid dreaming, isn't it? Because we're awake, but and we're stepping into a dream consciously. Right. Right. So it would be interesting to me to talk about maybe some techniques around that. Oh, I'm wondering yeah. if you have any techniques you use for that. Well, you know, one of the, the this is a funny subject to to talk about because I was just talking with a friend about lucid dreaming. Uh, she and I are both reading the same book and and sort of having this offline email conversation about lucid dreaming. Neither of us are big lucid dreamers at night, mm-hmm. but we both find that uh, practicing the techniques. In, during the day that sub, that are supposed to inc- uh, uh, cultivate a more uh, an easier uh, journey into lucidity during the night are actually helping us become more lucid during the day. That's great. <laughs> For instance, there's these uh, different practices about um, if you see something in your hand. For instance, if you have a quarter in your hand. At any time during the day, if you have a, a coin in your hand, you think, oh, this is a quarter, but uh, am I sleeping or dreaming? And you look away, and then you look back. And wow. the the idea is that if it's a dream, chances are that the object will morph into something else when you look away and look back. So if you look away and look back, and it's still a quarter in the palm of your hand, you can say, oh, okay, I must be awake. You know, various things like that actually make it so that it's easier somehow to wake up when we're awake and and doing whatever we're doing and realizing, oh, right, this is a dream. What do I want to have happen in this dream? Right. That's so interesting because in my first book, Evolutionary Witchcraft, I talk about uh, cultivating keys to remembrance. Yes. And it sounds very similar. Yes. You know, every time I touch a doorknob, Right. Can I be present? Mm-hmm. Can I remember? Because we spend huge swaths of our supposedly awake life asleep. Yes. We spend it in some fantasy or having conversations or arguments in our heads or trancing out when we're supposed to be driving our, our cars. That's always my <laughs> favorite scary thing we do. Um, and so how can we be fully present and recognize that we're awake. And the more present we are, the more we're doing the sort of techniques you're talking about to bring ourselves into the moment and ask ourselves, am I asleep or awake? The more effective we are in realizing our dreams and aspirations. That's right. Because we've got concentration and attention and energy to put towards it all of a sudden. Yeah. It's so true. And yet, the I mean, I, I understand why people don't want to go there, because the more present you are at any given moment, generally, the less comfortable you are. Well, that's true. It's so, there's this constant battle between comfort and and awareness in a certain way. I mean, sometimes the two jibe, in which case, it's a wonderful, lovely day. But when they don't, you still have to think about, or at least be aware that you're making a trade-off. Okay, I'm choosing to space out right now because it's just a little too raw out there on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think a lot of us have found that, for example, with the current disaster oh, in the man. Gulf. Yes. You know, there's only so much attention we can pay to it because it's 
heartbreaking. It's totally and devastating. And that, you know, it fills us with anger and sorrow. Oh, um, so how do we, how are we aware that that's happening yet? We also have to get on with what our day is. Yeah. And even make plans for the future, you know. Yeah. So the, the thing about discomfort is that that's how we learn. Yes. You know, we can learn through joy, and we do learn through joy, but we tend to learn a lot through struggle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always think of the seed struggling to crack through the shell mm-hmm. and then struggling through the dirt to reach the sun so it can grow into the plant it's supposed to be. Right. You know? And without that struggle, there doesn't seem to be growth. It just doesn't seem to be the way our earth works. I have to agree with you on that. It's in my experience, that's, that's the stuff that's hard won is the stuff that sticks around. Mm-hmm. You know, the real gains that we make that we are confident of are the ones that we've struggled for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also the the metaphor I keep going back to that's a real thing, that the harder a butterfly has to struggle to get out of the cocoon, the stronger it is and the longer it lives. Yes. If a butterfly doesn't have to struggle, if it's an easy out, mm-hmm. it's a weak, it ends up being a weak butterfly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It just doesn't develop yeah. the same muscles right. and resilience. Right. Huh. Or that will to live. <laughs> There's yeah. something in that, too. And I think it's also why challenges are interesting to us. Yeah. You know? And it's why someone like yourself says, wow, I'm going to follow dreams and study them because they're really intriguing. I feel like there was probably something challenging there for you, wasn't yes. there? Oh, Something God. you wanted to figure out? Yeah, well, you know, just an immense curiosity about how the mind works, how the mm-hmm. psyche works, what what that larger pattern looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you and I grew up around the same era and probably read the same books as teenagers trying to figure out right. what the what the big picture looked like and not really having any book or teacher that would that had a something that 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 seemed right that seemed intuitively like yes this is the way reality works mm-hmm. you know it just kind of makes you curious so we are talking with Thorne Coyle this morning on Dream Talk Radio here on Cows. Thorne is the author of Kissing the Limitless and Evolutionary Witchcraft, and she has a blog that she updates way more often than I update mine at <laughs> thorncoyle.com. That's thorn, C-O-Y-L-E dot com. I have to hand it to you on the blogging aspect. That's, you know, there's always something new going on on your blog, whether it's just a poem or an invocation or a prayer or a short insight or some longer piece. It's one of my disciplines. I try to update uh-huh. my blog at least twice a week. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it helps me, you know. It's, yeah. it's just like keeping a dream journal, you know, keeps things right. active and flowing. Yes. Working on my blog keeps my ideas flowing also. It, it's a help to me. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful way to look at uh, any sort of blogging thing is as a writing practice or as mm-hmm. some sort of a practice daily or, or at least weekly. Mm-hmm. Do you do any of the other things like the Twitter machine or any of that other stuff? I don't do Twitter yet. I tend to not be an early adopter at all. Yeah. Um, but I do 
I do tend to post like a little something on Facebook uh-huh. every day yeah. just to keep energy moving in and out. Um, but that's about it. That and my blog. And then I do the podcast right. twice a month. Yeah, which are great. You've really had a lot of success with those podcasts. I've had great people on and it's yeah. been we've had fun, fun, interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. So who is your latest person that you talked to uh, on Elemental Castings? I spoke with someone you've recently on, which who is Mary Greer. Oh, you spoke to Mary. Oh, yeah, great. so we talked about water uh-huh. and um, emotion and tarot. Wow. And, you know, how the cups uh, affect us and uh-huh. how we're driven by emotions. It was nice. You know, I have to tell you, when I spoke with Mary on the phone just a couple weeks ago, um, she drew some cards. We were talking about the the oil spill, mm-hmm. and she drew some cards, and uh, for the outcome, she got the emperor, and she said, oh, I don't know, this is sort of authority for authority's sake, maybe not so much, uh, you know, become having a structure that that is regulatory and, you know, all the stuff that we would hope to see. Right. And I was struck yesterday by opening up the most recent New Yorker and there's a cartoon of and it's the emperor card from the Smith weight deck uh, it's basically this guy in a throne right at the edge of the water you know with the the, mm-hmm. the crown on his head except the water is all oil and he's just got oil spilled all over him that's amazing. Isn't that interesting? So I thought, oh, I have to scan this and send it to Mary. That's just so, um, I don't know, just kind of interesting, that, that um, synchronous event there. Synchronicity is really powerful. Yeah. That's another thing that the practice of um, presence and the, the lucid dreaming while we're awake yeah. that you were talking about brings me to is I find that I'm much more in tune with synchronicity. Mm-hmm. than I used to be. Yes. And serendipity. But that's interesting, talking about the emperor. I'm, I often wonder then, so, you know, sometimes people say, if, you know, maybe all the characters in the dream are me. Yeah. And I think in some dreams that's true, and I think in other dreams it's not. Mm-hmm. So what would it mean for us all to be the emperor? Uh. You know, A, what's our responsibility? But B... What would happen if we took more of that power on? Yeah. Would it shift the role of emperor in the world? Would it shift that archetype? Ah, now that's an interesting question. The shifting of the archetypes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, clearly having the emperor show up on the page of a magazine with oil all over his right. chest, that was, a sim- uh, that was a significant shift in... in <laughs> I looked at that and I just couldn't believe, am I in the dream? Am I still in the tarot reading? Is this right. the, you know, is this my breakfast? I'm reading the magazine right. over breakfast, right? But some somehow then I was transported into this whole idea exactly of what you're saying, the evolution of the archetypes. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. And what's good? I mean, is that is that a good thing that the emperor, which is kind of, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of authority in the emperor card but there's also that authority for the sake of of power and not necessarily for the good of all Mm -hmm. so that'll be interesting to track it will and it'll be interesting i'm now thinking back to 
that trend I've been seeing in my clients and my students um, of everyone stepping more fully into his or her authority and yeah. finding, you know, what their deeper work is. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's a little bit of that emperor mm-hmm. energy that's the helpful mm-hmm. part. Yeah. And so, and I, you know, now that I think of it in this context, Anne, I'm wondering if part of our fear of stepping into our work and of living our lives awake um, and as though we we can lucid dream our lives. I'm wondering if part of the resistance of that is not our fear of manifesting the parts of the emperor that are less savory. Yeah. You know, that we recognize, oh, there's danger here. Right. Well, and I mean that whole, that Marianne Williamson quote, that we don't fear, uh, we fear being powerful. Right. You know, I think that's also true. I think both are true simultaneously. Just the Mm -hmm. whole idea of power makes us very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But that piece about it all being connected, I'm reminded of, I had a very short dream um, just last week where I was, uh, I usually go swimming in the morning at this lap swimming pool nearby. And in my dream, I'm just watching the guy with the net sort of skimming the surface and picking up the little dead bugs and the leaf litter and so forth. And then the, the net goes around and it picks up a tar ball. Oh. And I wake up and I think, oh my God, <laughs> no, no little pool is safe. Nothing is safe from this. We yeah. all have the oil on our hands, right? right. It's all in, and as far as the, the collective unconscious, that tragedy, that deep suffering is showing up in every little isolated pond and pool everywhere. It certainly is. Um, And so we have a choice. Do we step forward, do what we can, you know, to hold people accountable, do what we can to shift our corporate system, governmental system, Mm -hmm do what we can in our communities and then do what do the work only we can do yeah you know that's part of it too it's not just about running around putting out the latest fire because right. as humans we've got a lot of those crises right yes so yes we do need to address crisis obviously mm-hmm. but also then what's the ongoing work that's going to create change for the good in our culture it seems like we need to do all of that simultaneously you know which is why i'm a proponent of work in the world being an activist Mm -hmm. and having a steady spiritual practice yes it can't just be one or the other we have to find a way to become whole ourselves in order to have our biosphere be whole have the cosmosphere be whole this fragmentation yes. is part of what has led us down this road. And it's even a fragmentation of psyche. And I think that shows up in our dreams, too. Yes. And what are, are you thinking of anything in particular around that? Just, um, you know, how some things that we suppress during the day come in our dreams. And then we have disturbing dreams yeah. or dreams that make us uncomfortable or right. frightened or um, all of that sort of thing. Because it has to come out somehow. Yeah. And I think the more we work towards wholeness, the less we have to work some of that stuff out at night when we should Mm -hmm. be resting. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or should we, or, you know, have a greater opportunity to open to deeper information, right? Instead of just all this stuff we've been avoiding, right? The the and, and, go ahead. And then, of course, culturally, all the stuff we've been avoiding ends up causing these huge disasters. You know, because we don't mm-hmm. want to deal with the fact that these corporations have unscrupulous practices, and we don't want to deal with the fact that our culture is addicted to plastic mm-hmm. and to gasoline and to all um, to disposable culture and to pesticides that come from petroleum-based, you know, yeah. technologies. Yeah. All of that. We don't want to deal with it. No, I know. I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, but, but it has to. It has to erupt, and yeah. it has erupted. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, and I should mention, too, we're, we are talking with Thorn Coyle here on Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, on this beautiful Thursday morning. Uh, we've been talking about people, you were mentioning earlier in the show, more people than you've ever noticed before really stepping into this is, uh, for lack of a better word, destiny. This is what I need to be doing. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm showing up for now in this much bigger way. And it occurs to me that the this shadow side of of you know the emperor kind of uh how do what what happens when we achieve that authority or that power or that influence um i mean i think the missing link here is that that piece of that um ideally a spiritual practice gives to us which is identifying our core values do we are we in it for power's sake or do we have a map of the universe that shows that things are connected. Where where is it in our our um, deepest held values that we work for the highest good? Right. How do we what what sort of measurement system do we have internally or externally? You know what sort of support system or feedback loop do we have to remind us if we get off track? It's why my practice is so important. It's why my peers and friends are so important. And it's why I seek out teaching yeah. still, you know. And it's also the reason why I like thinking in terms of a biosphere and a word I use a lot now, the, a cosmosphere. Mm. You know, because a healthy biosphere and I believe a healthy cosmosphere requires diversity and re- and requires acknowledgement of that interconnection mm-hmm. because everything is interdependent, yet everything has a specific role to play. So can I step fully into my role and become a more active, helpful part of my biosphere, right. my community, and the whole cosmos, really? which includes all the divine forces as well as the natural forces. What's my part in that? Right. I need to both be aware that I'm an important part and that my work is meaningful and that I'm only one part who, you know, I'm interdependent with all these other parts. Right. So that way it helps to balance out um, the hubris, you know? Yes. It's... (laughs) Yes, uh, yeah, pretty soon hubris will have to have, you know, benefit potlucks to raise money. (laughs) (laughs) With enough people sort of swatting us on our knuckles when we sort of overreach. But I mean, that's, I mean, hubris is one of those things that 
the Greeks were warning each other about in the myths. I mean, it goes mm-hmm. beyond that. It goes back to Sumeria. It goes be, probably back to the dawn of human consciousness and storytelling. Yes. Is the danger of thinking that we are divine. I mean, you know, solely divine, right? Solely divine. We're the only divine force in the world. Right, right. That's highly problematic. <laughs> it's certainly not pleasant. If you get stuck with a person like that at a party, you just want to just... You know, how can I disengage from this? <laughs> so how do you, I mean, how do you deal with that? You must see some of that in your students, right? Because I think spirituality, for all of its benefits in terms of spiritual practice and studying and, and learning, is rife with people who just think they're God's gift, you know? So how do you guard against that in, in, your, in your travels and teaching all sorts of people? Well, it's interesting I actually see, I do see some of that, and I certainly also see it in some spiritual leaders. Yes. Um, and it, it becomes problematic. People who don't have the checks and balances you were speaking of, or people who feel they don't need to engage in their practices as thoroughly as they used to because they've achieved some level of insight. Mm. That's really harmful and problematic, and students end up having a lot of trouble but as far as in students, when I see that, I, when I see those tendencies, I look for whether or not this is an important part of their, the arc of their spiritual development. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we need to overreach a little bit yeah. to get somewhere. Right. You know, we went through that, right? Yeah. And where, you know, I talk about we were wielding our power with not very much grace. You know, we were, there was a time when I feel like our group of friends that were studying together were crashing around a lot. And I think that was just a part of our development. Yeah. We were trying to figure out how to be in our power. Yeah. And sometimes it's like an adolescent. You know, the adolescent, to come into her power, has to be bigger than life and has to sometimes be more obnoxious than we would appreciate because she's trying to push up against something and right. set her own boundaries. Right. So sometimes that hubris is helpful energy because it gets us through that phase of development. The trouble is, is when we leave our own press and get stuck there. Yeah. So then I go back to what's my daily centering practice? Mm-hmm. Am I doing any kind of cleansing? Am I doing self-examination? Am I sitting in meditation and contemplation, you know? Am I observing my habits, all of that sort of thing? Um, And then I also see, though, the opposite with some students. They're so afraid of going there that they're holding themselves back too much, Mm -hmm. and they're not accessing their full life energy, and they're not accessing their talents because they're so frightened of being in a place of arrogance yes, that they won't even let themselves approach it. So those people I have to encourage in the opposite direction, Mm -hmm. you know, be a little Mm. more out there, take up center stage, tell us what you really have to say, show us that fabulous painting you've been hiding in the closet, Right. sing your song, the world needs it. So again, it's always... Can I come back to center? Can I flow in yeah. balance? You know, I, I think of your Aikido movement. Yes. You know, that 
there's always this return. We get off balance a little bit, and then we return to balance. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have to learn again. Yeah. We're back to that conflict and struggle and some of the discomfort. You Don't know, you find that in I your do. practice? Absolutely. And I, and one of the things that I realized a few years ago is, oh, the the stance the anti arrogance stance like I would never I would I would never wield power because it makes people arrogant is a, its own sort of arrogance. Oh, it is. You know, it's this defensiveness that says I'm better than anybody else because I'm refusing my soul's urge to grow and become a, a dynamic person. <laughs> Therefore, I'm rever- I'm I'm you know sub- uh, avoiding the temptation of abusing power. So I'm. It's that uh, you know. It's these funny little loop de loops our minds get in, mm-hmm. in order to sustain. I think comfort and step away from that growing edge that's that's often as we've been talking about it's just uncomfortable uncomfortable to stay there for any given time but you know shame shame and self-deprecation are just as self-centered as arrogance yeah yeah sorry go ahead well no it was just reminded me of uh remember you know being in our 20s and Mm -hmm. coming out and and I think your your point is absolutely right that there's a point at which you you realize wait a second I've been ignoring all of this stuff like for me in my early 20s it was oh I've never been allowed to be angry this wasn't right. an acceptable emotion so I just had to go I mean it was really probably I don't I haven't talked to my former housemates about it but I'm sure it was really unpleasant to be around <laughs> but I just had to be able to be angry at things you know yeah. I just had to be angry and eventually I realized wait a second okay there's the blast furnace of anger and then there's like you know I can I there's there's some some degrees that I can actually use this but it took a while of just kind of feeling it and getting it was almost like a kinesthetic thing being um, being able to 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 contain it and to channel it through my body when I was right. mad, and then I realized, okay, there's degrees. I can sort of learn how to moder- moderate this, you know, for when for when I need to use it at a small amount or a larger amount. Right. But I had to definitely learn how to work with anger too, yeah. and now it's so nice when it rises up and it's just clean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's necessary. It's a necessary force. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But I, I used to block my anger a lot and had to really work through self-expression around yeah. that. And it is tricky, you know. And just like for some people, it's tricky to, they have to learn how to express sorrow. Yes. Or grief, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, not to say that we're ever quite done figuring it all out, but I think there is there we we can be a little more graceful. Yes. Than than perhaps we were <laughs> twenty or fifteen years ago, maybe when we were. Oh uh, please, please! <laughs> this is why I I try to never um, hold someone to the way they were five yeah. years, 10 years, 20 That's years ago, right. because I ple- don't want anyone to hold me to that either. <laughs> That's right. You do have to make allowances for age and all that sort of thing. So then we enter another part of my practice, which is cultivating a connection to love and compassion mm-hmm. and being able to have love and compassion while still holding 
strength and a boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it's a, I think sometimes of the, the pillars on the high priestess card, mm-hmm. you know, those, those pillars of severity and mercy. And that to me is part of full adulthood and spiritual maturity mm-hmm. is being able to stand in between severity and mercy and say, yes, I'm able to act appropriately. Right. And when, I, when I'm not acting appropriately, when I'm going too much one way or the other, I do have things that can help bring me back. I do have keys to remember. I do say, oh, is there a quarter in my hand? Right. You know, um, am I touching this doorknob? Do right. I have a touchstone to help me with my awareness right. and help me navigate this life that is my dream and this dream that is my life? So what sort of keys do you t- tell people about? How do you approach that idea of things to remind you of, of getting back to center? It's, it's different for everyone. Um, the doorknob thing was something I used for many years. And for other people, it's drinking a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Other people really have a hard time coming back. And so for them, I say, well, on your computer or your phone, you can get now those meditation chimes uh-huh. to go off randomly. Right. It's great. This one client I have, started using that because he has a hard time working in an office setting. He's a really, he's an outdoor activist and loves being in the trees. And we worked with two things. We worked one with bringing the sense of the forest into the office, Mm -hmm. which has been helpful, but then also these keys to remembrance. So he set up those chimes on his computer just softly to remind himself to come back to attention. And people in his office noticed, and now everyone in his office that chimes on their computer because they loved it so much. That's great. So now the whole office comes back to presence and remembrance throughout the day. Wow. So that's that's something else that's helpful. Yeah. For me now, it's I've been doing this practice for so many years, it's just keyed into a sense in my body of where's my center of gravity? Mm-hmm. That place in, you know, in the Dantian yeah. um, between the navel and your pelvic bowl. I drop into that with such frequency that that's now my touchstone. What's happening with my core muscles? Mm -hmm. And then following along that, can I just take a breath here? Breath is always my great connector. And then that everything else opens up from that. Where are my feet? What's happening with my thought patterns? So for me, a physical reminder is the most helpful because I can be a person who really can get caught up in the brain. Yes. And so I've had to train myself to be present in different ways, and a physical touchstone is my greatest ally. Mm-hmm. And you've gone through many different uh, permutations of physical practice. Yes. So what? where are you on that now? I remember when you moved to Berkeley, it was bicycling and stuff, and now it sounds like it's even more than that. I do... I actually had to do a trade with a personal trainer, so I do weightlifting, um, I do bodyweight exercise just out, you know, in the park, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of walking, I do a tiny bit of yoga, so it's a variety, partially because I travel so much, and partially because 
I like mixing things up so I don't get bored. It keeps mm-hmm. me engaged. Mm-hmm. So I do a variety of things. I love heavy lifting. Um, I do bicycle for, you know, and walk for aerobic exercise, a little bit of dance, body weight exercise, yeah. and some stretching. But then also my spiritual practice, is centered around the physical. You know, uh-huh. I do a lot of posture work. I do a lot of that centering around my core and breath work. Yeah. And even my sitting meditation is so, the body is so important. You know, when my spine hits that certain degree of uprightness and yes. has support, then my brain and my spirit and my energy bodies all fall into place mm-hmm. to do my meditation. Mm-hmm. It's really a wonderful place to be when you when you hit it, you know it. And it's yes. just, oh, right. Everything is, all the synapses are firing just right. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a kind of a sublime spot to be in. It is. And the beauty of it is, since I do that every day, then I can hit that spot more often throughout the day, even uh-huh. when I'm not on my meditation bench yeah. because my body has this key now of full presence. Right, right. We are talking with Thorne Coyle here on Dream Talk Radio this morning. Thorne is a respected teacher and author. She's written two books, Kissing the Limitless and Evolutionary Witchcraft. She hosts a podcast series and uh uh, Solar Cross Temple and Morning Star Mystery School are two of her big projects in the world. Um, that's a full plate of stuff. So how do you how do you find? And this is one of the things I think it's tricky in this time where we're all forced be just because of the economy to to basically have all burners, something cooking on all burners. As a person who has a lot of stuff going on in a lot of different areas, how do you find, uh, what techniques do you have to manage your time? Like, now I have to focus on students for my next class. Now I have to focus on writing. Now I have to, you know, talk to clients on the phone. How do you do that? Well, I, I have a loose schedule. Obviously, my spiritual direction clients um, are set, which is nice. Yeah. They give me some structure to my schedule. I also have other set things, you know, when I see my trainer, when I do my volunteer work at the soup kitchen. Yeah. Um, and then my travel schedule, of course, gives shape. And so within, within and amongst all those other things, I just say, okay, I need to make sure I'm making time for these other things. So mm-hmm. what's the best way to do it? So I find in the morning, if I can get up, make a cup of tea, then while it's cooling, you know, do some meditation practices and maybe do a little bit of yoga. Mm -hmm. Then, oh, now I'm in a space where I can, I'm in a contemplative space, so my writing can come out. Mm -hmm. So then I'll do some writing after that, uh, which is really helpful to me. And then then I, I can go about my day. Once I've set that in the morning, I can manage everything else in the day. If I don't have that in the morning, the day is a lot more difficult to manage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. self-care is really important. And too often, the busier we get, the more self-care goes out the window. Yes. And of course, the busier we are, the more we need it. Uh, the true. more we need 
sun time and rest time, the more we need exercise, the more we need to be eating better, yeah. and the more we need some kind of spiritual center, I mm-hmm. find. Mm-hmm. And I, I find this with my students. They'll say, oh, I don't have time to do it, and, but, you know, I have to because it's my assignment. Oh, and then gosh. they say, oh, you know, if I actually make time to exercise, wow, now I have all this energy <laughs> to do all the other things on my plate. It's really true. You know, so I really encourage people to do that mm-hmm. because if we don't commit to ourselves, and who will? Yep. And if I'm not committed to my life, then I'm not doing my work mm-hmm. in the world. So the other, my other technique that... I think is really important for all of us in these times where things seem to be moving so fast Yeah, is even if I have to hurry externally, I try to slow down internally. Uh-huh. And if I notice myself speeding up internally, because I want to, I want my internal energy to match that external, it's yeah. natural. Then I pause and say, Oh, I actually literally tell myself slow down. Yeah. And I take a breath and I recenter and then try to hurry to get out of the house to an appointment or whatever I'm doing. But the more I speed up inside, mm-hmm. the less effective I am, the more frazzled I am, the more anxiety I am. And then the more actually that anxiety shows up at night when I'm asleep and therefore I don't rest very well. That's right. That's exactly right. Because it's an anxiety, it's not, it's not a, uh, it, you're, we're pushing our, our envelope, we're not sort of responding to the, we're not in the Tao. Exactly. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> so how do you deal with it when anxiety is showing up in your dream time? Oh, is boy. there stuff you do during the day to remedy that? Yeah, I think, and, and it has a lot to do with this idea of being more lucid during the day. Because there's so many times when, and this this uh, this thing you were just talking about about everything being so fast is a perfect example. There are any number of cues we can just turn our head to the right, just about ten degrees, and we'll see something that reminds us that we're already behind on something we want to do. Right, right. We're already under the gun for something. So that is a really pervasive dream in this culture in this time in particular, when people are having to scramble, literally, you know, I mean, the ground is shifting underneath you, you're losing your job, or, you know, whatever that's happening, it just automatically sinks you into this mindset of, there's not enough time, I'm behind already, and I haven't even begun yet, right? And so that is the stuff that I try and wake up from. Because that is the, uh, well, you know, fear is the mind killer, as we know. (laughs) Thank you, Frank Frank Herbert. Herbert. (laughs) But no, that's the thing that will get me out of the flow. If I have to write a piece, uh, another article, say, for the Huffington Post, and I'm feeling like I'm under the gun, I may as well just go out and and have a two martini lunch because I'm not going to get anything done. I actually need to disengage from that sense that... I'm already late with, mm-hmm. without having started yet. And that, so that just involves realizing that this is a dream and yeah. just sitting down. And I have this one, I have my office where I do a lot of, uh, you know, desk work and I do some, and I make sure I do all my correspondence from there and all the uh, commerce goes on in my office. But then I have this really nice comfy place in my living room where I write Mm-hmm. Because it's just a little more open, it's more airy, and I'm away from the calculator, 
Right. You know, and just that shifting of a place and I've got a laptop so I can sort of move around. That helps me get unstuck from that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in a, and I mean, not that not that I don't get caught up in that when I'm on the couch, but it's a little easier to remember that, right, there's light, there's air here, there's, you know, the trees outside, right? There's, there's a, there's a deeper dream here that I'm, that's what I'm trying to tap into. And which is that everything is happening at the right time and at the right place. So just. That's beautiful. Mm. And part of the beauty of that, Anne, is then you have more spaciousness, attention, and energy to feed your larger life dream. That's right. We need that sense of spaciousness. Yep. And cultivating that feels really important to me right now for all of us because we can get so myopic yes and then just end up on the hamster wheel oh my of God. fear anxiety stress worry which all it does is eat our life energy That's right. and doesn't help us so you know can we all just take a breath <laughs> i know and step back and say can I open up inside? Can I expand my energy body? Yeah. You know, yeah. and what's really possible here? Exactly. And I feel like for me, my big work in the world is to talk about things that are happening, real things, but talk about them from the perspective that's not the hamster wheel. Exactly. You know, that takes into account the slower rhythms of the earth and of mm-hmm. evolution and all of all that stuff. So, it's very much about dreaming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think the world needs us to be living and activating our larger dreams and desires. Mm-hmm. I think it's of help. That's right. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I'm I'm so glad to hear you saying that people are stepping up to that because I really think that's... The, the more urgent things feel the more we just have to actually stay in that deep centered place and say okay yeah. this is how i'm choosing to show up this is what i can do to shift this energy all around me right when people are really struggling with juggling everything and feeling so hard pressed to get everything done and that they can't even connect with the fact that they've got a calling Mm-hmm. love to bring out that beautiful old Dina Metzger poem mm-hmm. where she says, there are those yes. who want to set fire to the world. We are in danger. There is no time not to work slowly. There is no time not to love. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful poem. It's my favorite of hers, I think. And it's such a great meditation for us all because, yeah, people are setting the world on fire. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? Right. Slow down, let's deepen, let's really listen. That's right. And open to love. Open to you know? love, yeah. It can sound like a cliche, but it's actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if I'm able to tap into love, I'm a nicer person, I'm a more effective person, I'm a more powerful person. That's right. I have more compassion for myself and for you and for our mistakes and our processes. Mm-hmm. And that includes, you know, being able to be angry. 
Yeah. When we need to be angry, yet not make more enemies of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we can hold each other better accountable. We can hold the British Petroleum executives better accountable if we're not just making them into an enemy. Yes. If we're saying, yeah, you know what, we've all messed up here, and I do need to hold you accountable, and I do need us to work more towards a place of love here. Yeah. Love for the earth, love for all the creatures of the earth, love for our lives, love for the future generations. And so I'm going to try to treat you with compassion, which includes being severe with you. Here we are back to the pillars of severity and mercy. That's right. That's right. I think I must have told you about this before, but I have um, actually an Aikido teacher in the East Bay. uh, Tom Gamble has this wonderful uh, saying of look for the grassy spot. If somebody's attacking me and I'm throwing them, I can throw them onto the, the broken glass. I can throw them into the brick wall. But if there's a little spot, a little grassy spot, you know, as severe as I'm having to defend myself and do this, I can choose the grassy spot. That's great. I really love that. It's this wonderful uh, the nonviolence in proportion to everything else. And if we can do that for each other, can we also do that for ourselves? That's right. Right. So if mm-hmm. I've made a mistake or if I need to change something, can I aim for the grassy spot? That's right. That's right. And yeah. the more I can do that for myself, the more I can do that for everyone around me. Mm-hmm. It's the beauty, again, of that interconnectedness you were talking about earlier. Hardest to do it for yourself, too, isn't it? It is. It is. We can be our own harshest critics. Yes, that's right. We have been talking with Thorn Coyle this morning on Dream Talk Radio. Now I'm, I feel much more relaxed. This Excellent. is going to be a good day. I think it is going to be a good day. It's beautiful. Oh, God, it's a gorgeous day. Thorn is a, a respected teacher and author of Kissing the Limitless and Evolutionary Witchcraft, available at fine bookstores nationwide. And uh, she has a podcast series called Elemental Castings that you can find on iTunes and also on her website at thorncoil.com. It's been great having you on the show, Thorn. Any parting thoughts about the dreams that we live and breathe? Yes, I would just like to encourage everyone to take some time today to just take a breath, find your center, and listen to what is calling you. And then ask yourself, what, what's one thing I can do today to live my dreams? One thing. May it be so. May it be so. Thanks so much, Anne. It's been a joy. Uh, lovely, as always. We will be in touch. Okay. Okay. Blessed be. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.